You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. This morning, this morning's message is titled Blood and Water. And you're going, what on earth are you talking about now, Donovan? We're trying to figure out what you're going on with. Over the last few weeks, I've been looking at the incident of David fighting Goliath. You'll be familiar with that. In the first message I looked at, we looked at the idea that David was, a, was lightweight and that he wasn't carrying much into the battle, whereas Goliath was weighed down. And Goliath not only had God, but he also had gravity against him. It was one of the significant reasons why Goliath was defeated was because he was so heavy and David was so light, he was able to fight him so easily. Next thing I looked at the idea of power and strength and about how Goliath came in strength and human strength. And he had everything on his side, but that David came in power. That he came at him in power, with God's power on our lives. And we looked at how if we admit our weakness and ask God for help, we can know and experience God's power at work in our daily lives. Would anyone say amen? amen? It's good to know the power of God at work in our lives. It means that we're not alone. Well, today I want to look at the idea of courage. About how David came in courage, but Goliath came in confidence. Goliath was confident of himself, but I'm not going to be looking at the story specifically of David and Goliath today. I'm going to be looking at another story about courage. You know, courage is a curious thing. When I was a kid, we used to watch a guy called Evil Knievel. Has anybody ever heard of Evil Knievel? Yeah. Put your hand up if you've heard of Evil Knievel. See all the aged people and all the infirm are showing you. Well, this guy is a new guy. He's like the modern Evil Knievel. His name is Travis Pastrana. And what he does is he kind of rides around the place on his motorbike, jumping buses and jumping canyons and jumping gaps. And he really does. It's very, very brave. He's incredible courage. He rides his motorbike through the air for hundreds and hundreds of meters. And, you know, as a kid, you really kind of looked up to these boys who had courage. But this isn't the only kind of courage that exists. We know that courage isn't just about what we want to achieve in our lives. There's different types of courage. There is physical courage, like this guy is showing Travis Pastrana. And then, of course, there is moral courage. And we talk about having the courage of character. And we talk about having the courage of your convictions. There's different types of courage. But when we talk about courage, what are we actually talking about when we reference courage? Now, if you go out the, day, the door today and don't realize that today's message was really about having a courageous faith, I give up, okay? I'm quitting the job next week and you'll probably be glad to see the back of me. Because I want to talk to you specifically about the courageous things that happen in our lives. Anybody recognize who this man is? Anyone? Who does? Can I get a name? Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee. Oh, he was a hero to us when we were kids. I mean, we just love Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee was a martial arts fighter. He came long before Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan is probably more the more modern version. But Bruce Lee was just so... I'm going to just say it to you quite frankly. No matter how cool you get in the world, you'll never be as cool as Bruce Lee, okay? Just face it. Just give up now. You'll never be as cool as Bruce Lee. He was a martial arts fighter, and he was a really good martial arts fighter, but he also became a film star as a result of his skills and made some movies like Enter the Dragon and The Big Boss and a few other movies like that. I remember we used to watch them as kids. Well, Bruce Lee said something interesting about courage. He said something that probably you have also heard uh, spoken about courage in, in the past. This is what Bruce Lee said. He said, courage is not the absence of fear. It is the ability to act in the presence of fear. 
That's what courage is. It's not that there is no fear. It means that you feel the fear and you go on anyway. Well, God's people should be the people at the forefront of that courage. Will anyone say amen? amen? Anyway, I'm going to look at the story this morning. It's from 2 Samuel 23, chapters 8, or verses 8 to 17. I'm going to look at these couple of verses. It's talking about three guys. It tells the story of three guys and they're known as the three. In this passage, they're known as their three. They're three mighty warriors that were David's mighty men. They were amongst David's mighty men. I'm going to give you a verse on each of these guys just to give you a handle on what they were like. Can you hear me? Am I back? I'm back. I thought I was gone for a second. Here we go. This is the first one. It says, the first of the three was Jashabim the Hakmanite. He already had a cool name. He was sorted already. Who was the leader of the three? The three mightiest warriors among David's men. He once used his spear to kill 800 enemy warriors in a single battle. Some people think that that should read 300. Some people think that it should read that he held off 800 warriors. Well, whether he held them off, fought them, 300 or 800, this guy was a mean dude. He was a tough guy. He was courageous and he was brave. If you were getting yourself into a fight, Jashabim the Hatmanite is the guy that you want at your back. He was the second guy. Next in rank in the three was a guy called Eliezer. Once he and David stood together against the Philistines when the entire Israelite army had fled. He killed the Philistines until his hand was too tired to lift his sword. The Lord gave him a great victory that day. Standing back to back with his king, David. Standing back to back, he defends and he fights so hard that his hand grew too tired to lift his sword. You know, sometimes, brothers and sisters, and I want to say to you this morning, I know that some people here are finding the battle of faith so tiring, you're struggling to lift your sword. I want you to know that if you lift your sword, the Lord will give you a great victory. Amen. Would anyone say amen? amen? God will give you a great victory. So that's Eliezer, another tough guy. The third tough guy is this guy, a guy called Shammah. One time, the Philistines gathered and attacked the Israelites in a field full of lentils. Lentils. And the Israelite army fled, but Shema held his ground in the middle of the field and beat back the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Once during the harvest, when David was at the cave of Adullam, the Philistine army were camped in the valley of Rephaim. The three, who were among the thirty, an elite group among David's fighting men, went down to meet him there. David was staying in the stronghold at the time, and a Philistine detachment had occupied the town of Bethlehem. David remarked longingly to his men, Oh, I would love some of that good water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem. David had been raised in Bethlehem. He knew what the water was like in Bethlehem. You see, we're used to our water nowadays being all nice and clean and sanitized and easy to drink. But in the Middle East, of course, when you were drawing from the well, your water came out silty and it came out cloudy. And sometimes it didn't come out looking very nice at all. And we talk about water as though it's tasteless. But water actually does have a taste. And the taste of different types of waters and different types of wells uh, were important in that culture. There were bitter wells. There were sweet wells. There were places where you knew you would get a really refreshing draft of water. And places where you would get, you know, maybe not so good. I'm going to drink my bottle of Ishka. That's good water. You can buy some next door if you want it. Mm. 
So David is there, and he says, just longingly, let's all wistfully, ah, I'd love some of that water. And a couple of his men perked up. Do you know something? They loved their king. They were loyal to David. They wanted to serve their king with all that they had. With everything that was in them, they were going to serve their king. That's even the call to service. That's on us. This is what it says. So the three bore through the Philistine lines, drew some water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem, and brought it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out as an offering to the Lord. The Lord forbid that I should drink this, he exclaimed. This water is as precious as the blood of these men who risked their lives to bring it to me. So David did not drink it. David did not drink the water because of the risk and the price that was paid for that water that these men literally risked their lives to serve their king. Such was their love and their loyalty from him. He only had to say it that he wanted water. And they were gone through the Philistine ranks. The Philistines were mean dudes. But these guys were meaner. They had courage to face the ranks of the Philistines. For what? For a drop of water. That's what they did it for. Just to get a drop of water to refresh their king. Just to get a drop of water so that their king would be blessed. And he brings back the water. I find this part funny. These three big, hairy, muscly dudes come back after going through the Philistine ranks, getting the water, hand David the water. They go, here you go, Dave. Here's the, here's the bottle. It's not a bottle of water. They probably brought him a jar or a jug of water. Brought him a jug of water and said, here you go. And he said, I'm not drinking it. And he pours it out on the ground. And they go, thanks very much for that, David. <laughs> he poured the water out on the ground. He just poured it out. And he said, you know what? I'm going to pour this out. I'm offering this sacrifice to the Lord. As much as I would like this water for me, it is so precious, I simply cannot drink it. I cannot put this water into my mouth because of the blood that might have been spilt in the pursuit of this water for me. These guys are raising a very high standard of courage, a very high standard of loyalty and of love and of service to their king. David was their king. Who is our king? Anybody know his name? Jesus. David in this story, as he is in the story of David and Goliath, is a type of Jesus. He is the hero in the story. David is the hero, but we know that you know he's not the only hero, that he's only the micro-hero of the meta-hero in the story that is Jesus. It's a curious thing, the story about the, the idea of being a hero. I mean, you'll be familiar with the old song, you've got to search for the hero inside yourself. Do you know the song? You've got to search for the hero inside yourself. Do you know the, the song? Search for the thing that you hide. You've got to search for the hero inside yourself. And then you'll find the key to your life. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Amen. I have news. I searched Be Your Own Hero on the interweb machine the other day. And when I did the search, I got over a billion hits for Be Your Own Hero. Do you know something? You cannot be your own hero. Because no matter how courageous you are, no matter how heroic you are, you cannot save your own soul. For that you need another hero. You see, the thing about being a hero, or the thing, it's, let, let's stick with being a hero for a second. The thing about being a hero is this. To be a hero in a story, you've got to do it for someone else. 
You won't find the hero inside you unless the hero that you look to inside is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You won't find the hero inside of yourself. You cannot be your own hero. No matter how heroic you are, I'm just looking to myself. Are you? Jesus never said, find your own hero. He never said, follow your dream. He said, follow me. Amen. You cannot follow your own star. It will lead you to despair. Read the Gospels. Read the Bible. Read the theologians who have written. You see, real heroism, real courage is extremely rare. It's when somebody puts their own life and limb at risk to save others. That's what it looks like. I'm going to play a very short, we're going to play a very short video for you. It lasts about one minute and before, before you play it, don't play it now yet. Wait, wait. Before I play it, I want you to know something. First of all, this is CCTV footage. Some of you may have seen it because it's only from, I think it's from earlier this year or late last year. CCTV footage from a train station in Mumbai in India. And it is, a, and you need to remember in this story that there's a mother and a child involved and the mother is blind. She cannot see her child and the child gets himself into trouble. I want you to have a quick look at this video. It's about heroism. This is real heroism. That's heroism, isn't it? Did you get? Did you, I hope you got it. Did you? Could you see it? You could see what was going on. I want to be the guy running up the railway tracks with the flag. By the way, he only did it once. The video is played three times, just in case you're wondering. God, this actually it's stupid or what? That he fell off the platform three times. He only did it the once. Do you know? I said it to Ellen and my wife when we saw this video originally about this hero literally running up. I said, you know, that will never happen to me. She said, well, what do you mean? We'll never? I said, that'll never happen to me. Do you know why? Because God knows I don't have the courage to run at a speeding train to save somebody's life. I don't have the courage. I don't have that. You see, that's true heroism. And true heroism and true courage is actually poured out in our lives. It comes in our lives, but it, it normally has to do and to address other people and other situations. It's a curious thing about courage. There's a whole area called the science of heroism that has begun to develop amongst psychologists and so on and so forth. And I'm very interested in, in these kind of studies. I'm just interested in psychology anyway. But I was thinking, and I was listening to a program, a documentary about 
about heroism and about courage. And they said something very interesting. There's some very interesting things that they observed in when they were talking about courage and, and what goes behind, what, what, what it takes to have courage and people who, who display extraordinary courage. We've all seen videos. You, look, you know courageous people, I'm quite sure, in your life. In actual fact, we're all called to courage. But it's an interesting thing. They summed it up in five simple things that people who have a lot of courage have. And I've seen it in the lives of people around me, and of course we see it in the life of Jesus, but we certainly see it in the life of this pointsman who runs at full tilt up the tracks to save a child's life towards an oncoming train. I won't ask for a show of hands for how many people would do what he did. I think we would have few enough of us. Here's some of the points that they make. The first of all is this, an identity question. And the first thing they say about the identity question is, the question that people ask in a situation where they show courage is, what would a person like me do in a situation like this? That is a brilliant question, especially for a Christian to ask. What would a person like me do in a situation like this? Our pointsman in this story obviously recognized that a person like him, whose job is to keep people safe, was to intervene. The second thing is about connection. It's an amazing thing that when they investigated and spoke to guys who won awards for bravery, especially soldiers, they were all kind of embarrassed at having won the award because they basically said, sure, I only did what my comrades would have done for me. I only did what other people would have done for me. It didn't seem to me an extraordinary thing at all. They felt a profound sense of connection to the people that were involved. Let me give you a simple example. If my home was on fire, I'll use my home, and my wife was inside, it wouldn't take an awful lot of bravery, bravery for me to go in and rescue my own wife. That wouldn't make me a hero. Now, if my neighbor's house was on fire and his wife, who gave out to me over the fence and because the music was too loud in my house too often, was stuck inside there and I ran in to save her, that would be courage and bravery. Are you with me? Are you with me? Simply because when we have a connection to someone, it doesn't seem like bravery. It doesn't seem like courage. It just seems like the most appropriate thing to do. They say that people who, who use courage normally express a thing that they call expansive Empathy. It's people who have a sense of empathy that goes beyond their own family, their own group, their own clique, their own class, their own social situation. It's people whose empathy extends beyond their own life and their own experience. Are you with me? I want to give you an example. Take the street pastors. You will have seen them if you're inside in the city centre on a Saturday night, Cork Street pastors. They have a real sense of expansive empathy. They reach out to people who are not in their circle, who are not in their clique. They see people in need and they help them. That's how they work and they show great courage in doing that sometimes because they face some very difficult situations. Habitual helping is the key, is the key to being a hero. If you want to show courage, get into habitual helping because it's the little things that you do every day prepare you for the big moment in your life. That is why when you see people who help others on a regular basis, they're far more likely to make the move when the big need arises. That's what you see in them. And of course, they think it through. Now what does thinking it through mean? Very often the heroes of the courageous people are the first responders, the frontline workers, the first responders. It's the, it's the police, it's the ambulance men, it's the doctors, it's the nurses, it's the firemen who show up in a situation. And when they talk about thinking it through, it means that they've considered the danger of the situation. They've considered the danger of the situation or have prepared for a similar situation like that. 
Now, as one of the pastors here, and as being responsible for the building here very often, I've often thought through what I would do if something happened. I've often thought it through. And so that's how, that's how you prepare. So God forbid anything does happen. God, Lord, don't take that as an, as an offer. But, but, uh, but if something happens, I have quite often thought situations through. Now I want to go back for a second to our points, man. In the train station in Mumbai. Here's what he's got. All of these things, he ticks all of these boxes. And I didn't know about it when I was preparing it. But he does have the identity question. What do you do in a situation like this? He has that connection to someone. An expansive empathy. He has that sense of, okay, that child falling off the platform is not my child, but it's someone's child, and it's someone who needs help, and he responds. He has this, he's habitually helping. His job is appointment. He helps not only with the trains, but with the people. And you're talking about Mumbai in India? You're talking about millions of people passing through this railway station on a monthly basis. Millions of people. And so he's used to helping people, guiding people, directing people. So when this big incident happens, he shows up because he's thought it through. The other thing is that I don't run at speeding trains. He runs because he knows how fast that train is traveling. And he's seen those trains come into that station a million times so he is able to show up and do the heroic act simply by following and he didn't follow anything his instinct but his instinct was actually a complex psychological process that was actually thought through are you with me yeah. hmm. Michael thanks for sharing all that like but I want you to think about the true hero of the Bible who's the true hero of the Bible Jesus, Jesus is the true hero of the Bible he has the identity question he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What does a person like Jesus do? He answers the connection. He has the expansive empathy. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He was a habitual helper. He, he, he raised the dead. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. He delivered the possessed. He was constantly helping. So when the crunch came, as, we, uh, as Elma spoke about just a while ago, when the crunch came, he was able to go through the biggest trial and the most courageous act in human history for the most innocent man, the most innocent person to ever, ever be punished for sins was Jesus Christ. And he thought it through. You know when the scripture talks about the lamb who was slain since before the foundations of the earth or at the foundation of the earth, 